Some epiphanies are big ones, dramatic ones, mountaintop experiences. And some epiphanies are smaller and more everyday. One of mine happened 18 years ago on a pathway in a public garden. As I was walking with Julia, not too long after we had started our relationship, it was a beautiful day. We were in a beautiful place, and I was in the process of falling in love. And as we walked together through the gardens, there was just a moment when Julia turned halfway toward me and gave me a little smile. And I don't know what it was about that smile, which was no different objectively than a hundred smiles she's smiled before or since. But there's something about that moment when the world looked a little different. It's a moment I've gone back to over and over as I remember the early days of our relationship. The memory of that one smile somehow stands for everything else. And it was a moment of dawning realization that this was something special, a relationship that would end up changing my life. I wonder if you can think of moments in your life that have been a little like that. Maybe it was a big one. The birth of a child, the death of a loved one. Or maybe it was something a little smaller. Maybe it was the first time you dribbled a basketball or picked up a musical instrument. Maybe it was a random smile. The thing is, just about anything might trigger an epiphany, but you can't force one. One way or another, there are times in our lives that we can't predict, but where the veil is pulled away and we have a moment of insight. We see things from the perspective of a deeper reality. And the thing is that that reality is always there below the surface. It's just not always visible. We can't always see it so clearly. And that's why we need epiphanies. That word epiphany comes from Greek and it means something like to shine upon or to give light to. And for the last Eight weeks we've been celebrating this season after the Epiphany, which is a season of light, a season of revelation. It starts with the light of a star shining above Bethlehem. And it continues as the light of Christ is progressively revealed in the world through his baptism, his public ministry. And today this season of light reaches its culmination as Jesus becomes light. His face his clothes shining with heavenly glory, as his disciples suddenly see what has always been true. They have a flash of insight as he's revealed to them as the glory of the living God. In some ways, it's a preview of the resurrection. Once again, they will see Jesus in his body, a mortal body changed into something more than mortal and filled with God's glory. And it's also a sequel. It's a sequel to the story that we heard earlier this morning of Sinai, when Moses, the leader of Israel, goes up the mountain, encounters God face to face, and comes back transformed, 
his face shining. Like all good epiphanies, the transfiguration of Jesus is a moment of special insight into what has always been true. The disciples see Jesus revealed as the successor to Moses and Elijah, these two great figures of the prophetic past. And they hear God's voice telling them what has also always been true, that Jesus is God's beloved child, and that they should listen to him. True before, true after. The only difference is that they have eyes to see it in a new way. Now, the transfiguration is a joyful epiphany, but there are also troubling ones. Back at about that time when Julia and I were walking in that public garden, the Matrix movie series was still new and fresh. Maybe you remember the scene in the first Matrix movie where an ordinary guy named Neo is offered a choice between a blue pill that will return him to his everyday life and a red pill that will let him see things the way they really are. Now when Neo chooses the red pill and gets his glimpse below the surface of things, he learns that everything he knows is a false reality, a simulation made by wicked machines to keep humans happy and comatose. And he learns that the real physical world is an apocalyptic nightmare where only a few humans are disconnected from the simulation and fighting to free the rest of humankind. It is an epiphany, if a disturbing one, and it changes his view of reality. In the movie, when Neo goes back into the Matrix, knowing its true nature, it looks the same, but a little different. He starts to notice the flaws in the illusion. And then he starts to act different. He discovers that he can use his mind to control that false universe. He can fight the illusion on its own terms. Because he's been given a glimpse beneath the surface and knows how things truly are, it changes the way he lives his life. The same is true for us and for the transfiguration of Jesus. When we see Jesus shining with the glory of God, we glimpse reality as it really is. Not a nightmare, not a simulation, but the robust reality of God's glory. A world that was made to shine with the glory of the living God, with Jesus Christ at its center. As one of the great Epiphany hymns puts it, Jesus is God in man made manifest. And once you get a glimpse of that reality, it changes the way you see the entire world around you. The beauty of creation, the most ordinary person on the street, the whole universe shot through with the glory of God and Jesus. And that doesn't change the fact that this world is also a place of incredible suffering and need. So the transfiguration doesn't send Jesus and his disciples into a fairy tale escape. It actually sends them back down the mountain into ministry. It's good that we read both halves of the story this morning. We don't just stop on the mountain. Peter suggests for a moment that they should build dwellings on the mountain, set up camp and stay. And who wouldn't want to stay? But Jesus brings them back down 
and immediately afterward he finds himself encountering a young child with convulsions and healing him. In other words, Jesus is sent straight back into ministry, straight back into service. In Luke's gospel, it's from this point that Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem. The narrative of the gospel shifts towards the journey to the cross. And our liturgical year works a bit the same way, as this is the last Sunday before Lent, the last Sunday when we sing Alleluia's, the last Sunday before our journey to Jerusalem and to the cross. That garden where my little epiphany with Julia happened is called the Alexander Gardens, and it's located in Moscow, in Russia, right next to the Kremlin. It's a part of the world where I lived with my family for a few years as a teenager as part of my father's career. And after college, Julia and I had gone back to visit him while he still lived there. So it's a part of the world that has a special place in my own heart and story. And central Moscow is beautiful and romantic with its onion domes and gardens. And of course, it's also the headquarters of a murderous regime that has unleashed multiple wars against its neighbors. This week, of course, we have seen spectacular images of suffering and pain from Ukraine. And it's a place that tugs on my own heart because of its intersection with my story. So my heart places and my epiphanies aren't separate from the pain and sin and suffering of the world. The garden and the battlefield are close together. And so are all our stories. That mountain where Jesus' disciples saw him transfigured sits in the middle of a holy land that is both holy and beautiful and also the site of centuries of war and oppression. Our own homes in California, where our lives happen, are in a land marked by conquest and genocide. And so the thing about epiphanies is that they take place in the world and not apart from it. And God's presence and God's glory are to be encountered not in a place apart, but in the thick of the world's suffering. So a real epiphany is meant not to help us escape but to bring us closer in, where Jesus is, where he's at work to serve and to heal. I don't know what will happen in Ukraine. What I know is that the God who made the universe and whose glory is revealed in Jesus is there, not in bombs and mortars, but with everyone who is in danger or fear or grief. And not just Ukraine, but in every place where people are hurting. In Afghanistan. In our own neighborhoods. I know that we get glimpses of God, not through might and victory, but in acts of compassion and courage and care for others. Acts that echo Jesus as he comes off the mountain and cares for a young child. So as we embark on our journey to Jerusalem this Lent, may we carry that transfiguration along with us, a vision of glory, a vision to give us strength and sustain us, 
to sustain us all the way to the cross and also through it and beyond it into resurrection.